It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. This episode features Miranda Green, former press secretary to Paddy Ashdown. And this is a phenomenal conversation about the realities facing the Lib Dems in this election, the things they've got right, the things they've got wrong, just the pressures of the UK political landscape at the moment. This is one of the most enjoyable chats I've had about politics. It's absolutely brilliant. Please enjoy Miranda Green. Delighted to be joined by Miranda Green, now at the FT, former advisor to Paddy Ashdown. Miranda, how do you think it's going for the Lib Dems in this final week? Oh, God, Matt, I think it's getting really <laughs> tough again. I mean, you know, I think there's a real chance it could be a bit like 2015 again. Mm. You know, just the most almighty squeeze. And as we saw in 2017 as well, I mean, I've only got... A B in O-level physics. <laughs> but I'm reaching for some sort of metaphor to do with kind of like repellent magnetic poles. Do you know what I mean? So you've got a repellent Tory party, yeah. a repellent Labour party. And actually the, the one in the middle just gets sort of moves from side to side and can't make an impact at all. And I think that's happened all over again. You know, because it's almost like... I mean, it's not so much that, that Boris Johnson and... Jeremy Corbyn sort of scare the horses. It's more like they start a bloody stampede <laughs> from one side to the other yeah, it's side. It's like Jumanji. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're standing in the middle saying, you know, actually the IFS thought that our figures added up, you know, I mean, forget it. You're really stuffed. And obviously the campaign has not been brilliant either. So, you know, all that optimism from earlier in the year, from the European elections, and the idea that you could actually have a centre party that was kind of a gathering point for the people who are horrified by what's happened yeah. with the extremism and the sort of capturing of the two main parties by a clique, you know, which is what's happened in, in, bo- in both Labour and the Conservatives. I think, that's, unfortunately, in the ca- this campaign, that's kind of evaporated for them. I mean, is it is it that or is it just... Uh, and so many of us have been thinking about this throughout the campaign and, and obviously prior to the campaign is... Maybe there just aren't that many people who are that horrified by Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson and Brexit and what's happened to Labour. Maybe it's quite a small pool to be fishing in. Really? Do you think? I don't get that impression. I I can't remember such a grim campaign. Mm. And I can't remember so many conversations with people, both friends and colleagues and, you know, people that you meet out and about reporting who say, well, who describe a sort of anguish, actually, in making up their minds about who to vote for. It's not with enthusiasm. I would say the opposite, actually, of your theory, which is I think there's a sort of hardcore who are very happy with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership Labour Party and very happy with a very hard Brexit Tory party. And there's actually loads of people along a spectrum in the middle, but they're so worried about the other guy. Yeah. You know. So that's what it is. It's fear of, for Tory moderates, Jeremy Corbyn, for Labour moderates, Boris Johnson... Yeah. And they're uh, better the devil you know, even in an election like this. Yeah, very much better the devil you know. And I think also, 
you know, I mean, we know from 2015 and 2017, that kind of last minute message to moderate Tory waverers, you might be thinking of voting for the Lib Dems down in the, you know, in those South seats West. of South West. Well, actually, do you know what? I think the South West is a bit gone anyway for the Lib Dems because yeah. it's so Brexity. I think there are pockets, you know. But the, all those seats around London where it's like it's affluent, there's a lot of people who've moved out of London. It's very now fertile territory for the Lib Dems. But that last minute, do you really want to let the, this, this Labour leader in? It worked for them, for the Tories, very well in, in both the last general elections, and I think it'll probably work for them very well again. I don't know. I mean, we can stay up for Isha, though, right? Because yeah. maybe be hopeful that, that Dominic Raab might be the Portillo moment. I think that's going to keep fun. people going into the, into, <laughs> no, the, into the early hours hope to hope that maybe laugh. Dominic that's Raab right, might yeah. lose his seat. Um, maybe Brexit, then, has not been the opportunity for the Lib Dems. It should have been, because maybe it is Brexit that reinforces that fear of Boris or fear of Corbyn in that without Brexit people would say well they're both just rubbish but this is purely about which government we have for the next five years. Brexit people perceive to be a bigger issue than just who wins the election and actually this election has more at stake and even though the Lib Dems are where most Remain people are the perception is that Jeremy Corbyn is the best way to perhaps deliver a second referendum. Boris Johnson is the best way to get Brexit done. Yeah, I think there's a lot in that. I think also, you know, it's, I, think it's, I think it is true that our politics are changing and changing quite fast. And I think there's a lot of... I mean, you even only have to look at what happened in 2017 in terms of the, the source of people who were voting Tory for the first time. Yes. And obviously this time the Tories are chasing a whole new bunch of Labour voters and Labour has kind of captured a sort of liberal middle class vote in urban areas... You know, so there's a lot of change going on under the surface. And I do think the kind of two-party system and first-past-the-post is under unprecedented strain and something at some point, God, is going to have to give. But, you know, in the meantime, I think, I think the Lib Dems... Well, I think they believed several things that turned out not to be true. OK. So I think they really believed that Brexit had redefined politics completely and that left-right didn't matter anymore, really. And it was all about leave versus remain. And, you know, I did a piece of work recently with the British election study. And when you look at the leave versus remain on the kind of voter map, it's exact. The remain is exactly over the Lib Dem voters, you know. Yes. So they just thought they could capture that huge pool of people because that was the only thing that mattered, mattered to people now. And I think that's just been overstated. And I think left, right still does matter. And obviously leadership really matters because in a general election you're not voting on issues as much as you're voting on who you want to be Prime Minister. And I think that's bad. I think the other thing that happened was is that because they were doing so well, I think they were looking around the world at places where the Centre Party can do amazingly well very quickly. You know, they were, they were starting to talk about Trudeau's party in Canada and how mm. they'd leapfrogged from, you know, third, even sometimes fourth place to be the party of government yes. and you know so I think they got a bit carried away to be honest Do you think effectively then they've stopped being a national party and we're only talking to 40% 48% sorry of the public So that's another big issue I think choosing the revoke article 50 policy had a lot of problems with it 
and I know you've discussed this with Mr. Tony, obviously, <laughs> Mr. Tony. Mr. Tony, who is obviously a much better analyst of these things than I am, but my feeling is it was a bit of a mistake because it was sort of too hard line, and so those waivers in the middle just... And also, you know, what we've all been through nearly four years now yeah. of having terrible arguments with people about Brexit, and I think people are actually genuinely sort of worried about the divisions in the country and sounding as if you have just picked a side... Even if you agree with it, you know, it's sort of like, I reckon a lot of Remainers at two o'clock in the morning think, okay, let's just revoke Article 50, just pretend the last four years yeah. haven't happened. Thank but God is the that... start open at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's wait till seven. Because, you know, is that actually a responsible way yeah. to go forward, even if in some sort of deep, deep, dark heart of, of, of the Remainer community, as it were, the Remainer community, as if there is such a thing. But, you know, you know so I think, I think... I think that I think there's that and I also to be honest with you I think the other big problem that they've had in this campaign was once the article 50 controversy was sort of out the way you then had Joe Swinson in mired in this debate about gender self ID and is there such a thing as a woman the thing the only those are obviously completely different topics yes. but they have one thing in common which is a disaster for the lib dems which is have you gone mad too? And really, honestly, if what you're trying to say is the two main parties have gone bananas, come with us for a bit because we haven't gone bananas, then if the only things you're talking about make you sound as if you also, you know, are kind of one sandwich short of a picnic, then you've you've got a bit of a problem. And why why has the gender ID issue been such a, an issue for the Lib Dems? Um, very young membership lots of generational difference I think on this issue and um, you know the Lib Dems have this very democratic policy making process yeah well no it's very interesting this because you know not just on policy making but also on candidate selection all sorts of things and as we've seen with the yes. Corbyn leadership of the Labour Party having a lot of democracy inside your organisation <laughs> can actually be a bit of a drawback when you're then moving on to the stage of trying to appeal to broad sections of the yes. public at election time, right? Because what people think inside a conference hall, it's about the most self-selecting bunch you're ever going to get. Yeah. You know, it's not what the, the country thinks. With Jo Swinson's leadership then, because she's young, she's female, she's talented... She probably gives, I think, better answers on her feet than any of the other leaders. And despite the hostile audience at the question, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a tweet that's had more abuse than the one that I put out saying I thought Joe Swinson had the, had the gig of the night, which I, I genuinely believe. I wasn't trying so to try, I genuinely was dispassionately <laughs> watching it yeah. um, and thought she was the best performer. Yet, a lot of people disagreed. Now, maybe those people are on Twitter and people who agreed would be sat at home and not watching social media and everything else. But there does seem to be a perception that perhaps she hasn't been able to cut through. Is that just because of the sheer clout of Boris Johnson and the noise of Jeremy Corbyn and the obsession with the two parties? Or do the Lib Dems have a leadership issue as well? Well, as it happens, I agree with you about not just the question time debate, but also the Andrew Neil interviews. I mean, yeah. I've spent a lot of time in TV studios with Andrew, and I mean, he yes. can be really frightening, as yeah. you know. I mean, the idea of having half an hour in which he sort of interrogates you, I can't, I mean, the very thought makes me kind of freeze up, freeze up with terror, you know. I think Boris Johnson feels the same way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on one level, who can blame him? Obviously, on another level, I disapprove. 
um, of him not turning up. So, yeah, I thought she did really well in that question time thing. But I think the problem for her was that it exposed a lot of underlying issues that the Lib Dems still have with the coalition years. So in a sense, I agree with you. I thought she actually, in terms of her performance, she's been, she's been good. But I think there's a real hangover, which perhaps people didn't realise about how confusing people found the Lib Dems being in coalition with the Tory party and how much it upset people who had in the past been happy to give their votes to the Lib Dems even if they were naturally more more Labour or whatever. So I think the coalition years have screwed up a lot of the tactical voting assumptions which would be helping the Lib Dems now in those seats they want to take off the Tories. And also it means when you get a public occasion, you know, you've got this blowback of anger about the coalition years, you know. And I think it's difficult for her personally because, you know, she's actually proud of some of the things she did as a minister. You know, as a junior minister, she was doing all this great stuff about equal rights for parents at work. And so in terms of her kind of political journey, she feels she achieved things. But, yes. of course, the general public, you know, see, some, see something else. I mean, for me, she not only turned up to do the Andrew Neil interview, she also took the opportunity to apologise for mistakes that the coalition made. And obviously the contrast of that is that Corbyn turned up, good for him, <laughs> but refused to apologise on anti-Semitism and Boris Johnson didn't even bother to turn up. So I would give her an A for that. For this election then, what, what, what will be defined as success for the Lib Dems and for Joe Swinson? Well... I think some of that we won't know till after the election in a way because if if they manage to deprive Boris Johnson of a fat majority or even of a majority at all, you know, when we look back on all this, the success will be whether they actually manage to stop a hard Brexit, yeah. secure a referendum, all of those things. I think if he wins his majority and they fail to sort of get their seats above about sort of 1820 then there'll be uh, yet yet another sort of terrible um you know cold case tv, was, 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 TV drama of you know people in white coats picking a, over the corpse <laughs> you know but i think i think i think a lot a lot of people will sort of look back on it and think god this is just such a shame because one of the other things about joe swinson is that this election campaign has made her look far more tribal than she is i mean she's not a tribal politician she actually has always worked cross-party. It's since she became leader that all these defectors came in from both the Tories and the Labour yes. Party. If they lose all those defectors and they're back down, right back down in terms of the numbers of MPs, it will be a shame. It will be a shame. But should she be given more time regardless? Well, she's only been leader since July. So, um, yeah, I do. And actually, I think if there is a hung parliament... And there are sort of cross-party negotiations going on. It would be mad to change the leader because there'll be so many things up in the air. And she's been in the room in all those negotiations for the last for the last few months. And how do Lib Dem members of the Lib Dem, how does the Lib Dem community feel about Joe Swinson compared to how they felt about, say, Vince Cable, Tim Farron, Nick Clegg? So here's the thing. I think part of the problem in how she's been presented in this campaign is to do with how well-liked she is inside the Lib Dems, in fact, because I think also, you know, they feel really pleased with themselves that they've got a young woman leader. <laughs> 
you know, so, I mean, it was like, oh, oh, 39 year old woman, young mother, And it's true, that's great. Yes. But of course, you can't expect the rest of the country to kind of give you points for that as an organisation. Do you know what I mean? It's not a sort of diversity programme inside a corporation. You know, so you then have to sort of turn out to the to the to the country and 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 show what you've got to offer. So, I think in a way, the fact that everyone inside the Lib Dems likes her so much and is so pleased that she's leader has been a problem. You know, and I think, um, you know, when when they had all the problems negotiating with the broadcasters about including her in the debates, and then they went to the kind of hashtag debate her thing. Yeah, I also think that. The awful truth is that, you know, feminism is still very divisive. And there are things that you should allow other... I mean, you know this, Matt, right? In politics, there's lots of things you should allow other people to say about you, but you shouldn't say about yourself. Such a good rule. Don't you think? Yes. I mean, the most egregious example would be the quiet determination of... What is it? The the, the quiet man. The quiet man, that awful Ian Dunkel Smith moment with the... the quiet man. You know... You, you should never describe yourself or make excuses for yourself. And I would say undoubtedly, I mean, we all know that politics is sexist and that women start with a handicap and all the rest of it, but you don't say it about yourself because it just annoys people. That is such a good... You know, these are rules that are effectively not handed down from on high, but these are about how society perceives things. And these are almost like... This is like a debrets for politics... In that, that is true in normal life as it is in politics, that people react against people who say those things about themselves, even if it is an injustice and even if people would agree, there is something in, maybe it's not just a British thing, maybe it's a human thing, who knows, maybe that would change, but at the moment in the country we live in, for some reason people take against that, even if they agree with it. Yeah, that's right, and I think you don't want to be... I mean, I think so far, I don't know what you think... But I think so far we've avoided getting into a kind of US-style culture war, even though the Brexit thing has threatened it. And I think it remains a kind of threat whether our political conversation gets disrupted by all this other sort of horror. But, you know, you can see in America the idea of, you know, women's rights and women's place in society. It becomes part of a sort of awful list of issues that then are very divisive. We don't want to go there. Yes. So I think you don't want to be part of any conversation that makes it look as if you're standing on your values and opposing somebody else's values too much because you're, you're onto that territory. And Bre- the Brexit divide does have those elements about it, right? Oh, Brexit does, I think. Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party does. I think uh, elements of... uh, Certainly the Conservative and the Tory Party are desperate for a a culture war. And not just party membership and and party leadership, but a swathe of supporters online uh, and elsewhere are ready to have a a culture war that I think, for the vast majority of us, is a horrific and, and exhausting prospect. And also just, like, human life is so complicated and how people feel about these issues... You know, some of them, you shouldn't say there's a right and a wrong answer. And also some of them are bound up with kind of unbelievable levels of social change in one generation. Yeah. And to sort of outlaw people's emotional reactions to that, I think is unacceptable, actually. So... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You know. Let's, let's reminisce on maybe happier times. Yes. You were, you were deeply involved in the 1997 Lib Dem campaign working for Paddy Ashton. Obviously, I have memories of that campaign as a child watching it. It's the first time I saw a Labour government elected and uh, a Labour government that I would, go, a Labour party I would go on to work for. It was also a phenomenal time for the Lib Dems, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. It was really, really good. And um, uh, you know, Paddy was this incredibly kind of dynamic leader, leaping about the place. And in that election, actually, I worked. It was when the Lib Dems still were still in, in the Cowley Street headquarters, and I was down in the basement in our office. There were three or four of us, and we were in charge of the poster vans, Great. the regional media, and the celebs. Oh, cool! And no, but it was hilarious because you know the Labour Party at that point was so unbelievably sort of cool. You know, the cachet was incredible. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And so, the, so, so, the, <laughs> <laughs> so the Labour Party would sort of send out, you know, the whole of the whole of rock and roll, yeah. you know, to say vote Labour. And we had about four people, and it was a really funny collection. They were all so nice. You know, John Cleese? John Cleese, and I think it was Barry, I think Barry Took. Oh, my and, God. And the guy who was in The Equaliser. Oh, man. You know, that the actor in The Equaliser. So that, already it was a sort of totally mad random mixed bag, but then the best, the best ones we could offer, you know, if it was like a really high-level... <laughs> sort of celeb call out we had peter eustonoff who everybody's mum liked yeah and was a very very witty man and also we had um we had honor blackman so we we we, we would be able to say well we can send you pussy galore so that was, <laughs> that, was, that was quite good but it was fantastic and it was the thing is i think you know in politics it's really hard to remember atmospheres and so yes. much in politics depends on how people are feeling and that incredible sense of optimism and the sense that we were going to sweep away sort of tired Tory government and here came Tony Blair you know the Lib Dems doubling the number of seats it really did feel like a new dawn had broken had it, <laughs> had it not uh, yeah, it was fa- it was fa- fab. It was a fantastic thing to be involved in. High risk for the Lib Dems at the time, given God rest his soul, Paddy Ashton's some of the headlines about his behaviour, sending him out with pussy galore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're I don't, writing I don't, a headline. I don't know if we ever sent them out together. <laughs> that probably would have been, been unwise. But no, Paddy was amazing. I mean, he was just completely. So I worked as his press secretary for two years, and you know, I mean. I'm sitting here talking to you quite early in the morning, Matt. Mm. Paddy would have been already... Do you remember when we all had pagers? He did, my pager would have been buzzing since sort of 6am, saying, call me now, call me now. And he was just completely sort of in, inexhaustible and irrepressible, which, you know, when you're kind of the third party in a two-party system, you need that sort of dynamism, yeah. really. It was great fun. It was great fun. You're at the FT now, Deputy Editor of Opinion. Um, do you miss... The Cuttons for Austin election campaign being in the middle of it? 
No, I. I um, <laughs> I really thought what can you'd I say, say yes. No, I, I miss. I do sometimes miss the House of Commons because when I so I worked in the Commons for five years, I think all told, and sort of on both sides, you know, for the paper, but also, you know, as a as a political aide and. It's quite a sort of human place, quite warm. Obviously, recent in recent years, all the scandals that have mm. come out about people's staff being treated so badly really upset me, actually, because there is a sort of weird sense of community in there. There certainly was when I was a sort of very young, 20-whatever-year-old working in there. Um, and also, you know, this thing of people having friendships with people in different parties, that yeah. was very, very true. And it's amazingly fun, you know. So I miss that aspect of it. I think, you know, being at the newspaper is brilliant because you're sort of at the centre of this kind of international web of people. And also because it's the FT, we obviously don't have to be completely dominated by the UK the entire time. Yes. So when you're feeling exhaustion or whatever it is that Nigel Farage has started to... to call it thanks very much Nigel by the way for giving us all for <laughs> exhaustion and yeah you know you can sort of turn your attention to some of the other things that are going on in the world um but actually speaking of exhaustion, the other thing that really is winding me up about this campaign this phenomenon where Boris Johnson seems to be getting away with pretending that Brexit is a kind of something that's just happened to him like a weather event yeah, yeah yeah that's right so he's he's just sort of dissociated himself completely with landing us with <laughs> exactly. this disaster as if it's a meteor that's come from the sky rather than that he was the bloody figurehead of the Leave campaign. And let's just get this out of the road so that we can, you know, mend the road and carry on. It's absurd. But you don't miss, you, you don't look at people in this campaign, the activists, the, the advisors, the politicians, with any en amount of envy and think, oh, I wish I was working for the Lib Dems now. I could could make a difference I mean, I suppose, in a way, the, the root of that question is, what can the Lib Dems do in these final couple of days to maybe turn things around or, or to maximise their vote? The last couple of days, I mean, you know, it's just about getting your vote out and, and trying to push back against the very aggressive messaging from the two much bigger organisations who are wanting to squeeze you down to nothing. So it's, it's, it's really a lot of it's to do with the, the ground game, as they say, the last, the last couple of days. I mean, the sort of wider question, I don't miss it. I think this campaign has been marked by all the parties saying things that they don't really believe. There's been a lot of lying... Yeah. You know, the two main parties' manifestos, they haven't even bothered to make them add up, which I frankly think is an outrage. Yeah. I mean, there was a wonderful... My moment of the whole campaign, actually, apart from Andrew Neil's wonderful tirade against the Prime Minister, my moment of the campaign is Paul Johnson of the IFS being interviewed about the Labour Party manifesto. Did you see this? And his hair is literally standing on end <laughs> because he can't believe the kind of extraordinary scale of, of, of borrowing that would be, be involved. You know, so I think it's been a not not really a very respectable campaign on all sides. So I'm really pleased to be nothing to do with it, I have to say. But I am a voter, so I need to make up my mind, like everyone, right? It's difficult. I mean, do, you, do you miss it, Matt? Do you miss um, it? I do, actually, yeah, I do. I, but I think I'm probably... I, I, I thought that this politics gives you a real sense of purpose that very few things in life ever will. And... There's something about the adrenaline of a campaign, the fact that the future of the nation rests on these votes and trying to convince people you're right. This campaign has been a disgrace, and I don't, I, I'm glad I'm not involved in it. But 
there is something about election campaigns that always makes me think, I wish I was there. It's almost like watching a cup final from afar. I always, I always wish I had a ticket when I'm not there. So I miss it in that regard, but I wouldn't want anything to do with this one. I think it's miserable and it probably would have given me a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and far more timid campaigns almost did. Um, Instead, I, the whole country can have a nervous breakdown. Well, it feels like that. I mean, I, I'm surprised to... I wasn't sure if you were joking or not when you said you, you perhaps hadn't made your mind on how to vote. So listen, I am a lifelong anti-Tory tactical voter. <laughs> and how dare the Labour Party put me in this position where in a Labour-Tory marginal I feel unhappy to vote for the Labour Party. How dare they? I mean, that is how I feel. And this is the first time you felt that outrage? No, last time I felt it too. Last time I had such an argument, I probably shouldn't tell you this. Oh, go on. <laughs> last time I had such a terrible argument with the woman from the Labour Party who came to knock me up on the morning of on, polling on your day, door. on the doorstep, <laughs> in my dressing gown. I became so enraged that I had to lie down on the floor of the hall. <laughs> Wow. I know. No, but I do feel that because I feel that I feel that the parties are trying to morally blackmail us all into voting in ways that we're not happy to do. Yeah. And even the last minute pro tactical voting campaign, I mean I wish them luck, right? Because I think a big majority for Boris Johnson is writing a blank check in lots of ways. So I'm I'm sort of in favour of the tactical vote. Up to the point where people tell you you have to vote Labour or you have to vote Lib Dem, even if you've got real kind of moral qualms about the party that, yes. that's not your natural party. And that annoys me. I think I, it annoys a lot of people, actually. Yes, I feel exactly the same. Luckily, some people are able to live in constituencies where they can perhaps express a, a form of rebellion. Um, so maybe choose your vote wisely. But at, at the moment, you're still undecided? <sighs> Yeah, I think I am still undecided, actually. But, you see, it was very marginal, the seat I live in. And now it's pretty safe. So I might feel free not to vote tactically. But if everybody does feel free not to vote tactically, then there's Boris's majority. And then, and I know this is a really difficult question. You can interpret, you can give a vaguest answer as possible. Uh, but we are very close to polling day now. Everyone else I've been asking, there's been a, a, at least a week's daylight. What's your prediction of the outcome? Um, unfortunately, I think the Tory party will win and I think they will get a majority. It's the weird... It, it, I think this is the only election where I haven't had a very, very strong gut feeling about the outcome. So I could easily be wrong. And I think a lot of people... In the end, will a lot of people who voted Labour all their life vote Tory? Will some of them just stay at home? I don't know. But I, I feel as if they will get their majority. See what happens. Miranda, thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Well, there you go, Miranda Green. What a brilliant conversation about not just the Lib Dems, but politics in general. And you realise there are so many people out there, this shouldn't need saying, so many people out there that bring a different perspective and a different way of thinking about politics and talking to each and every one of them. 
well, obviously you can't talk to all of them. I'm trying to get around as many uh, of, the, of the most interesting people as I can. But you just, you learn something from everyone. And Miranda's perspective on the Lib Dems, I just wonder whether on Thursday night when we see the exit poll and the results start to come in, whether we really think about some of the things she said about this campaign. I'm sure we will. Uh, there's a couple of days left, which means there's a couple of episodes left. I'll be back tomorrow morning. As always, thank you for all your comments about this and share it as widely as you can. Leave reviews on whatever platform you listen to this on and I'll see you tomorrow.